0: a freewheeling conversation with the senate clerk welcome to grand divisions this is the week of december 2nd i'm joel ebert
1: and i'm natalie allison
0: joining us today on grand divisions we have the chief clerk of the senate russell humphrey thank you for coming on Uh, thanks for having me over Um, So, Russell, I don't know how many of our listeners know you. I hope uh, uh, everybody does. Um, We work with you pretty regularly, just given the nature of our jobs. But um, you've been in the job since 1999.
2: Is that right? Yeah, I was appointed October 1999.
0: Okay. So how did you get into it?
2: You uh,
0: went to law school, but then how did you become uh, clerk of the Senate?
2: Uh, I I had uh, been practicing law in Memphis. And decided I wanted to relocate back to Nashville. I grew up in Wilson County. And I came back in uh, the spring of 98 and was practicing law on my own. And for every dollar I made, I probably spent two. <laughs> and so um, by the fall, I decided I needed a regular job. The firm that I was uh, working for in Memphis was associated with Governor Wilder's law firm in Somerville. And so I went and saw him um in the following said is there any opportunity at the legislature and ultimately he hired me to be a lawyer in his office um, i thought for just just the session mm-hmm. work um, my predecessor mr mccullough had a stroke um, in 1999 and so um, they thought that he was going to recover and so there were a lot of people interested in the job but in, in order to avoid having to make a decision uh, they, they placed me in the role as an interim um, and so, uh, ultimately, I thought I was only going to be clerk for a few months. Um, <laughs> Mr. McCullough did not recuperate or recover. Um, and so, after a year of being interim um, clerk, I uh, was appointed clerk. And now Fisher. it's been going on 20 years. Now it has been 20 years, believe it or not. A job <laughs> that I thought I was only going to do for one session
1: um, <laughs> is now 20 years later. So, what did you actually want to do after that? You thought you were going to do it for a year, and then you thought you would go on and
2: what? I, I, I mean, I want to practice law. Um, I'm a third-generation lawyer. My father never actually practiced law, um, and I want to practice law and try to make a little bit of difference in the world and make some money.
1: Well, before we continue on with you, let's talk about your dad for a second. Yeah. So your father, for those of our listeners who don't know, was a reporter for a long time. He was covering... We've had him on the podcast. We before. have had yeah. him on the podcast. Tom Humphrey, uh, he was covering politics. I don't know if that was what he did for most of his career. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up with a dad who was, I guess, involved in politics in a different way?
2: It was very interesting. Um, yeah, he started with uh, the UPI at the Capitol Bureau, and I want to say it was 78 or 79, and then switched over to uh, the new Sentinel on 81 or 82. Um, and so, yeah, as a kid, um, um, he would make us read the newspaper at dinner often hmm. um, and and would bring up tacos. He would drag me to the office. Um, um, uh, usually, it was under the auspices of, of learning something, <laughs> but usually it was to try to attempt to clean out his cubicle <laughs> as you guys remember it was it was quite a mess uh, for many years. But yeah, it was it was very it was interesting to meet the different um politicians and political figures. He took me um to the Capitol Hill Christmas parties. Oh, yeah. Uh, once I got to be a little bit older. Where do
1: they used to have those?
2: Uh well the they had they had a big one at the governor's mansion mm-hmm. where the governor uh, had a. The, core over and mm-hmm. they'd, they have um, skits and it was quite mm-hmm. an elaborate production. This was back when McMortar was going. Yep.
0: Yep. And, and uh, so you then decide to join state government. What's that conversation like with your, your father?
2: Yeah, I didn't tell him until after I took the job. Um, and, Why? Did you think
0: he would dissuade you? Or?
2: Uh, I, I suspect that he would not think it was a good idea. Uh, my father's a very mild-mannered man, and he he, he, he didn't – he was not excited about the prospect of – not not the interaction of him being a reporter and me being somebody who works in the legislature. But he just thought there were better things that I could do with my life than than work uh, work for the state senate. Hmm. <laughs> I think I think he's come to agree now that, that this is something I was meant to do. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So take us through what's it like every day as the chief clerk of the Senate. What do you do during the session, which is arguably probably the busiest time?
2: Sure, sure, sure. Um, I will tell you, every day is different. Uh, we have session generally three days a week, um, and so the core functions of what I do are, are around around the uh, session day. So if we have session. Um, we prep the calendars. We actually set the calendars in the Senate um, for the Senate for floor session. Um, we've got um, session staff who have a variety of tasks. We have our audio visual production team. Um, we have to make sure all that is is ready to go. But I mean, I can't tell you what an average day is like because there's not an average day. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 the way session works um, is a cycle. So you're going to be working on, for example, I do the bill referrals. For uh, for the speaker, mm-hmm. um, that takes up a tremendous amount of time. The first, you know, one third of the session.
0: And 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 just to be clear for for people that don't know what that means, yep. that's essentially the bill gets introduced. You and your office are the ones that decide where and what what committees that go th- those bills go through. Correct, mm-hmm. correct.
2: So that takes up a lot of your time. What else does? Uh, and then and then once the bills get into committee, and then we shift to the committee sessions. Four sessions are pretty. Slow mm-hmm. until we get to the final third session. So that middle portion of, say, a four month session is going to be occupied with the committee work. And so we supplement staff for committees. We actually set the com- help set the committee calendars, um, for the committees, uh, and then and then just monitoring the committees. Uh, as clerk, I'm the parliamentarian of the body. So uh, often there'll be issues that come up on a daily basis that we'll have to consult with the members on or the chairman on, to uh, to help them get through the process.
1: So since you have been working at the Tennessee General Assembly in the Senate, you have served under three different speakers, uh, which in the Senate in Tennessee is also, it means the the lieutenant governor, uh, for any listeners who didn't know that. Um, you also have served under speakers from both parties. So I guess talk to us about like... How, how that has affected how things are run. And what is it like serving under a Democratic speaker versus a Republican speaker? And what was that transition like? And was there a conversation about, uh, are we going to keep Russell as chief clerk? And did you ever fear that you were going to lose your job because of that transition of party power?
2: That's like that was five or six questions all wrapped in You one.
1: can address all of them, whichever <laughs> ones you want. Just go for it.
2: Um, each of the three were were very distinct men. Um let me back up and say that in Tennessee, at least in the Senate, we have a very long history of the clerk being a Don Potterson officer of the body. We're, we're there to just facilitate the process. So my predecessor, Mr. McCullough, served for 20-plus years. His predecessor, Mr. Cook, was there for 20-plus years. Oh, so wow. yeah, so there's, <laughs> there's an expectation, at least in the past, that, that the, whoever the clerk is is going to be there to, to, to make sure everything runs on time and on schedule. That being said, yes, um, I'm sure there were discussions uh, as to whether I would stay or not, uh, particularly in um, 2007, or excuse me, 2009, when Governor Ramsey got elected. Um, But but the way, um, the difference in it is not necessarily a political question. It's a management style question. So uh, Governor Wilder, and I refer to to the Speaker of the Senate is Mr. Speaker, or as Governor, mm-hmm. they're actually Lieutenant Governor. So I don't want to confuse you. Yep. Lieutenant And governor. this is this is
1: John Wilder, a Democrat. Yeah,
2: a Democrat. Yeah, um, uh, he was elected uh, Lieutenant Governor the year I was born. Okay, so so when I came along to be his clerk, I mean he he had he had a long long tenure um, before him. Um, and so he was pretty set in his ways, and he had his certain expectations. And he was, and he was very actively engaged in not just the political side of the business, but also you know, the administrative side of the business. Um, so he was, he, was, he was very engaged in that. Um, Governor Ramsey, Lieutenant Governor Ramsey, on the other hand, the other hand had a, a very active um, business, auctioneering business. He lived you know, five hours away um, he was very engaged politically, um, and so he took a less. I mean, he don't get me wrong; He's made all the decisions, but he took a less active role mm-hmm. uh, in the administration of how we do, you know, run the day-to-day operations of the Senate and, and the General Assembly. Uh, and then when he switched to Governor McNally. Um, he's kind of in between the two of them. He's 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 he's. Um, very interested in how we spend our money and making sure we spend our money appropriately. Um, he's very interested in making sure that, that, that we follow and you know, establish hiring policy and that we, and that we administer things fairly in terms of the, in terms of the day-to-day functions. Mm. Um, and then, it, and then, um, you have the side of them dealing with, uh, how they run the actual Senate, mm-hmm. you know, how they preside over the body. Each one of these three are very, have been a very different style and based on their style, um, Dictates, you know, how much I have to do or what what I have to do during session. Governor Wilder, um, he's a pretty well uh, oiled machine. By the time you got there, I mean, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So you know, a lot of what I did the first few years, you know, was was simple I mean, I didn't, didn't get to rule on any parliamentary situations. I mean, i I read I read bill numbers and captions and stuff like that. Right. But uh, but it was it was it was a very old machine, mm-hmm. and it, it just ebbs and flows with each one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, take us back to the the time when uh, Lieutenant Governor Ron Ramsey becomes Lieutenant Governor for the first time. Uh, and there was uh, an interesting development, to say the least, when uh, Senator Rosalind Carita, who is a Democrat, who later came back as an independent uh, just this past session, she sided with the Republicans and kind of ended up being uh, the one to help thrust uh, Ron Ramsey into the speaker's uh, office. So, so tell us about that. I wasn't around for that.
2: It was it was it was exciting times. I mean. Um, uh, Senator Joe Haynes challenged um, Wilder in the Democratic caucus for the, for the nomination for a speaker. Um, and um, uh, it was a very close vote in the caucus meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were more than one uh, Democrat senators who were – who were I wouldn't want to say negotiating, but were certainly in talks with, with Governor Ramsey about helping him. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, um, that didn't happen. I will tell you, the intrigue, great intrigue was we convened the Senate, um, swore everybody in, and then uh, the Democrats called for a caucus meeting. Right so, away. Right away. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, they hit pause, and then they went and caucused uh, for about 30 minutes before they came back to vote um, to vote on the speaker. And uh, then they I, come back, and, and Corita breaks yeah. with her party? Yeah. we call it, I called the roll alphabetically, um, and when I got to Corita, uh, there was just an audible gasp. In the chamber. In the chamber. The next next person on the list um, was the um, Democrat leader, Jim Kyle. Uh I called Corita's name, and she voted for Ramsey. Then I I immediately called Kyle's name, and there was a long pause (laughs) before he he picked his job off the floor (laughs) and registered his vote. (laughs)
0: Um, You were also the clerk during the 2005, what became public in 2005, the Tennessee Waltz. Um, again, that predates us, but it sounded like that was just one of those momentous occasions in political history. It's certainly a sad moment for Tennessee politics, but what was that like watching that kind of develop? Uh, I think I remember one of my colleagues, Anita Wadwani, saying that she was there when I think the FBI ended up showing up in the building. Um, what was the day like when that kind of news broke?
2: It was, uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, to be frank with you. Uh, it all started. My recollection was it all started about six thirty in the morning. Um, I was actually at work, <clears throat> and um, uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine came running to my office and said they just they just picked up Senator Crutchfield um, at the uh, was now the Crown Plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where he stayed. They they picked him up in his hotel and arrested him, and he was there and he came running over and I thought, what in the world? Uh, then quickly, information started flowing in that they were arresting other folks, hmm. um, and there's something—I didn't at the time—I didn't have any idea what the context of it was, mm-hmm. but that there was something—something something was happening, hmm. uh, momentous. Hmm.
1: You had no idea at the time. No, no, <clears throat> no guess, no guess. So, how long until you and, you all and, actually found out what was going on that
2: day? Uh, that day, probably, probably. Um, a few hours, and I'll say why I didn't. Why I, I didn't have any idea. If they had, if they had, if they had come in and said they've arrested somebody else, I would have thought, okay, I think. But, but Senator Crutchfield was, was that was a really big shock for most of us. We're really surprised that that that, that, that he was the first one they got.
0: You ended up uh, ultimately testifying at the the trial of Senator John Ford, who uh, was convicted of bribery served 52 months in prison, uh, what, what was that testimony and
2: and and why did you, um, you know, participate in that trial? Yeah, I was subpoenaed um, in, in four trials, uh, testified in both John Ford's trial and, and uh, Senator Dixon's trial. Okay. Um, so John Ford had two trials. He had one related to the bribery scheme and then he had one related to the care. Right. Um. Uh, excuse me, to uh, uh, insurance insurance funds sure. here in nashville but in all of them i, I was there um to, to explain the, the the legislative process essentially mm. how 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 things how things become law mm-hmm. um uh in the um, in the second john ford trial uh i'm the ethics officer for the senate and so back then senators had to file ethics statements with me annually it's just form and uh, a key piece of those uh Charges against him were that he failed to disclose that he was he was receiving uh, money from these um, I think it was dental dental mm-hmm. insurers or something to that effect.
1: Hmm.
2: So it was it was remarkable times. I mean it was r- remarkable
1: times. Hmm. So I didn't realize this. You go to the the governors and, and House and Senate <clears throat> leadership breakfast each week. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. How long have you been doing that? And what what is your role in that? Do you say anything?
2: Uh, I'm there to answer questions, so uh, it just depends. Um, so I've since I was appointed in 1999 when Don Sunquist was governor, I've um, been invited to those breakfasts, and um, you know it, it, it's interesting to see how um, the leadership of the General Assembly and the executive branch, you know, how they go about the decision-making process, and that that breakfast is part social. And sometimes it's all social, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, – under Sunquist, it was during the business and then income tax wars, and mm-hmm. that was – it was fascinating to be in that room and listen to them discuss, um, negotiate, otherwise, on those tax issues. Um, and then it just depends. You know, Sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of – uh, dialogue. Sometimes, sometimes they just have breakfast and chat. So, hmm. uh, but for 20 years, it's been interesting to see the folks come and go, the governors come and go, the well, different leadership. How many go. governors have have you been under five? Uh, no, uh, Sunquist, Bredesen, Haslam, and now Lee. Okay, so yeah. four. Okay, yeah, so four. four. Hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm sure you get a sense at those breakfasts of their different styles and yeah. and their interactions with the leaders of each chamber that. Uh, kind of provides you a unique perspective.
2: Yep, yeah, it's it, and uh, it's an opportunity not just for the for the governor, but also for the House and the Senate, right? To to to, to spend time um, working on issues, mm-hmm. uh, and again, back in the. Uh, Sunquist days. I mean, that was that the Sunquist was there. I mean, he hosted it, but most of the engagement was between the House and the Senate. And it got pretty testy. Um, Especially during the income tax days, I'm sure. Those few years. Yeah. I mean, every every Wednesday uh, was was something to behold.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for, for people that are trying to keep an eye on what goes on in the legislature, they often can't go to the General Assembly and actually see their committee meetings or floor discussions. Uh, you guys have implemented a, uh, a, a video uh, streaming system uh, so people can watch everything, essentially, uh, for the most part. Um, your office was instrumental, I guess, in, in kind of developing that. Um, tell
2: us about that. Yeah. Um, before um, 2004, uh, the only way that you could um, learn about the legislative process was either to come to the meetings or... Or um, library and archives had magnetic tape recordings of it. Um, Of course, I guess you could read the newspaper. That'd be your third way of wave. So we first started digitally recording and broadcasting um, uh, the sessions, committees and sessions in 2004. And in 2006, the leadership allowed us to purchase the equipment to video stream. And so since then, we've grown into a—we have a really um, high-tech and one of the best in the country um, media audiovisual departments that— um, we produce jointly with the house about 35 to 40 hours of television broadcast on the second tier public television. And then every meeting, uh, Senate, uh, subcommittee, full committee session, all of that is live streamed and then archived. Just to be not accessed. the pre-meetings. <laughs> Senate doesn't do we pre-meetings. Don't, we don't do pre-meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Never. That, we don't, we have a rule. It's an ethics violation in the Senate. If you, if you, uh, have a meeting and don't do it, um. But you,
1: you all have put out an, uh, an ethics opinion on that?
2: I, I think mean, it's we have just an ethics rule, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a rule. Yeah. We, we incorporated it in 2007 or 8. Yeah.
1: Incredible. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for listeners, the House regularly holds pre-meetings, which they refer to as bill review. They're typically in conference rooms or people's offices. But
0: Russell has nothing to say about that. <laughs>
1: And those are not live
0: streamed. So, um, outside of session, uh, what do you what? What's sort of your you know what do you do? Do you attend national conferences? Do you uh, you know how do you how do you buff up as the parliamentarian? That kind of thing. Are there new issues that come about every now and again?
2: So, from a from a parliament standpoint, um, I'm a member of the Masons Manual Commission, which is a group of 16 people who publish a treatise every decade. The commission meets for 10 years and they publish uh, this treatise on parliamentary law. So I'm finished up my second term on that. I mean it's quarterly and then uh, public uh, – quarterly meetings and then we do a lot of work. And then also I've been active uh, in the National Conference of Legislature and then American Society of Legislative Clerks and Secretaries, which is the oldest um, legislative staff group in the country and actually uh, – formed was one of the groups that formed ncsl oh uh, the clerk society has been around for 75 years ncsl has been around for about 40 huh. um and so uh, uh, so i meet regular with those folks and um we discuss issues we have um, well, we have um Panel discussions at a conference. For example, I did one on um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the gentleman who filed a remonstrance petition. Yes. Uh, with this he this
1: emails session. us a
2: lot. Yeah. I must ignore those. I it was that. it's a very I don't bore your listeners with it's a very interesting. Is it uh, Gentry
1: John Gentry? Yes.
2: yes. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, we get a lot I've of emails from him. Yeah,
2: but that was a very interesting subject that had not come up um, during my time, um, and it's and it's actually a movement, as I understand huh. it, around the country, and so. Uh, yeah, I I did a couple hour presentation on that. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he testified
1: in I think some House committee uh, this this session. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so do you have like any kind of? Um, vocal training you did or do to keep up your your
0: because voice it, for for those for who haven't heard him uh, you'll hear it in a minute i hope but your voice is is very um uh guttural in a sense and you're very clear when you speak uh when you're uh, at the the mic at least in in front of the senate which i think is really it it, it adds a new element to it i like it a lot
2: but <laughs> well, when i when i got uh, first appointed in 1999 there was a um, lady in the office named Laura Harris, and she pulled me aside and she says, "You know, the, this is for special session was was coming a week. I got a week's notice we're going to have a special session." And she said, "You yeah, know, the first thing that um, they do when they convene a the special session is you have to read the proclamation convening the session." I did I, I did not know that, and I said, "Okay." And so she gave me a copy of it, and I said, "What do you mean by read?" And she said, <laughs> "You got to you got to read it." And so she made tapes um, of Mr. Cook of him reading re- resolutions, and then Miss McCullough of him reading resolutions huh. and gave them to me. She said, listen to those. Um, that's how you're supposed to do it. You
0: have to speak with authority.
2: Yes, yes. And she, From your diaphragm. And, yep. I mean, she she, she walked me through it. And I, I mean, quite frankly, I was a little intimidated by it and a little embarrassed to do it. <laughs> um, but for four or five days, I practiced. Um and and, and I lived in an apartment with my wife at the time, and and Miss Harris told me go in the bathroom and practice in the bathroom. I don't know anything about singing or speaking or anything like that. And so you, you should hear my wife tell stories about me <laughs> standing in the bathroom, with the door shut, yelling, and you know yelling <laughs> these resolutions, this so proclamation. Did you
1: teach yourself in five days how to do it?
2: No, I mean, I, no, nah, I mean, it's, it's developed over the years. <laughs>
1: were you really bad at first? Very
2: bad. <laughs> Luckily, yes, there's terrible, no live streaming terrible, of it
0: back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So can you read us one today? <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I'm. I'm going to move this back a little. <laughs> I
2: brought one. I'll tell you, I've not, I've not read since, uh, since, uh, the April, since the session, since okay. session got out. So well, no, that's rusty. not true. What
0: about during the special session?
2: We didn't. I didn't read the proclamation oh. they, for some reason. They they uh, moved to dispense with the reading of the. Oh. proclamation. yeah, they didn't, they didn't do hear anything, it.
1: Joel. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a luncheon. <laughs> It was, it was a good use of time. All right.
0: So um, when was this from and, and what's it pertained to? So
2: uh, to be clear, uh, the members write these. The members file them. Right. All I do is read them. Right. So it's not – I'm not – I don't purport to endorse or support or otherwise, you know, uh, <laughs> condone anything that, uh, okay. that I read. I didn't, Have you
1: ever refused to read a resolution? I have not. Okay. No,
2: I have not. There's something I've regretted, and we can talk about that later. But
1: okay,
0: I'm going to go back here just in case it's too loud. But go ahead.
2: All right, this is a resolution that was offered by uh, Senator Watson, um, who at the time was Speaker Pro Tem. He's now he is now Chairman of the Finance Committee, which is which is a big deal in in our world, uh, and it's. I think uh, you
1: mean the Finance Committee. <laughs> What did I say? No, you said it correctly. Oh, oh,
2: okay.
1: <laughs> it's just how he says it. You know, everyone has their own style of speaking.
2: So he, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and read this. Go this ahead. is from 2014, so a few years ago. Uh, he was uh, Governor Ramsey was Speaker, and Senator Watson was Chairman of the Five Ways and Committee. <clears throat> Senate Resolution 69 by Senator Watson, a resolution wishing Senator Randy McNally a very happy 59th birthday for the 11th consecutive year. Whereas today, January 30th, 2014, the good senator from Oak Ridge is celebrating his birthday, he declines to say which birthday he is celebrating, but he was a classmate of John Sevier. And whereas Randy McNally first arrived on Capitol Hill in 1978, sporting a radioactive glow so common among Oak Ridgers, he was fresh-faced, red-headed, and eager to render public service as a member of the House of Representatives. And whereas... After failing in his mission for eight years, he decided to reboot and quietly move across the hall to the gerontocracy known as the Senate. And whereas, flash forward some 28 years, and the Senate is no longer the Senate, but is yet still somehow the Senate. And Randy McDanley reigns as chair of the Senate Finance Ways and Means Committee, and whereas in this important position, he has joined a long list of political icons who have deluded themselves into believing that they understand the state's multi-billion dollar budget in its entirety. And whereas, during his earlier days, his senator, Randy McNally, participated in the Rocky Top sting, often confusing fellow legislators and lobbyists alike by asking them to speak directly and clearly into his tie pin. And whereas, just as autumn follows summer, Senator McNally's hair has undergone drastic changes during his tenure in the General Assembly, and like the fall foliage, his locks have experienced a dramatic transformation in color, only changing from red to gray instead of green to orange. (laughs) And whereas, renowned throughout the legislative complex for his exciting and demonstrative personality, Randy McNally, is currently ranked 4,183rd among the 5,000 most exciting Tennessee legislators. (laughs) Placing between Senator Joey Hensley, MD, and Mr. Jim Cummings, who has been dead for 35 years. (laughs) And whereas before taking a much deserved retirement, defending a gentleman of his age, Senator McNally worked for many years as a pharmacist, which profession earned him the nickname Dr. Feelgood among his colleagues. And whereas in his spare time away from Nashville, he enjoys playing lacrosse with his golden retriever while drinking Starbucks coffee. And whereas rarely has a man of Randy McNally's stature walked among us, but his, his advanced age, he won't be walking erect for much longer. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Senate of the 108th General Assembly of the State of Tennessee that we wish our most beloved colleague, Randy McNally, a very happy 112th birthday, and in the words of Dylan Thomas, urge him not to go gently into the night, but instead to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Be it further resolved that the Chief Clerk of the Senate is directed to provide Senator McNally with a hearing aid, a walking stick, and a rascal scooter as a token of our esteem. <laughs> That's pretty
1: good. Amazing, that was great. (laughs) I did not know Randy McNally was a redhead. (laughs) Fascinating. That's what you took away from. That was my main takeaway.
0: Did so? Did uh, (laughs) Senator Watson get in trouble for any of that? No, he's chair of the
2: finance (laughs) finance committee now. (laughs) Worked out well.
0: One of the many people who pretend to know the numbers, though.
1: Okay, to close. um, Do you have any like embarrassing slip-ups from when you've been reading resolutions or? generally speaking in front of the, the there's chamber. one
2: there's one that I <coughs> try to make we do orientation for the new new members as well as new staff and so one of the points that we try to get across is everything you everything you do is recorded it's and and we don't edit so if if you are chewing gum or doing something other embarrassing it's gonna be on film if you say something inappropriate or wrong it's it's gonna be it's going to be on, on audio and film forever. And so I, the example I give them, and I hesitate a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and tell the story <laughs> here, is about – well, I won't tell you when. Several years ago – and I, I read these resolutions a lot. And uh, several years ago we had um, – uh, can I use the folks' names? I guess it's public record. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Marty Stewart and his wife Connie Smith were there to be honored. Actually, Ms. Smith was the one who was being honored. Um I think she'd been named to the Hall of Fame or something like mm-hmm. that. And so they had a resolution to honor her. And, um, and so they had them up front. And when I read these resolutions, the people they're honoring are, are probably less than two feet away. I mean, they're right there in front of you. And sometimes they'll turn around and look at you when you read, which is, which is odd. But usually they'll face the Senate. You know, In this, this case, they were facing the Senate. So I read this resolution. Um, and I get towards the resolving clauses. That's where now therefore being right. resolved. Uh, that means you're at, we're at the end. And then there's the penultimate clause, which is the second to last clause, which is a declarative statement saying we hereby commend you for winning this award or whatever. Sure. And then, then there's – excuse me, that's that – the penultimate clause is, is – after that is that um, we hereby wish you success in all your future endeavors. Okay, So I read this resolution, I get the resolving clause, and my mind wanders, and I'm thinking about the orders of the day, and I read the declarative statement, and then I read, and we wish you much success in all your future endeavors. And Marty Stewart turns around and looks at me, and, is, and, he's, and he's grinning, and Ms. Smith did not turn around. And so I thought, that's odd, you know? And my phone buzzes, and I look at it, and it's a staffer in the back of the chamber and says, you just wish Marty Stewart... And Connie Smith, the best sex ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, you didn't.
2: I went back and watched it. I I didn't believe it, to be honest you with you. You didn't. But I had, a, wow. had a, a girl working for me. It was a very prudent oh girl. I knew she would not. She would tell me the truth, and I went over to her, and I said, Kimberly, did I just wish them... <laughs> The best. And she turned bright red. She said yes. Oh, she did. Boy. Oh. How boy. did
1: you recover from that?
2: I, I walked. I didn't die. I
1: you never die. addressed it. Oh, no,
2: heck no.
1: no. Did you ever speak to Artie Stewart again?
2: No.
0: He no. smiled. I think he yeah. sent
2: the signal. He yeah. was fine with yeah. it. I mean, they, they've had tremendous success in their career anyway. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> on that note, thank wow. you again for Russell coming Humphrey
1: on. Russell <laughs> <laughs> Humphrey,
0: Chief Clerk. This has been a good episode, and appreciate you making the time. So, thanks, thank you. Thanks for having
2: me, guys.
1: And that's all we have for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Oh.
0: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead and just do it again.
1: And that's all we have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in.
0: As always, this podcast is brought to you by John Garcia and Erica Whitney, who produce it. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. You can also find us on Twitter, at Grand Divisions 3. And we will be back next week with a new episode. Later this month, we might take a week or two off, but we'll see how we feel. Uh, As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: See you next week.